What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Today, we'll examine a story for our times. Twice a daughter, a search for identity, family, and belonging. And who doesn't want that? But more specifically, this is a story of a woman adopted along with her twin sister at age three weeks, who goes through an intense personal time. Doctors think that Julie Magoo might have breast cancer, and Julie then realizes, together with her husband, Steve, that she doesn't have the medical history she needs to actively and accurately treat this. The book is about two families whose threads weave together, one that gave her life and the other that gave her a life in Julie's own words. Welcome, Julie. Great to have you with us. Good morning, Diane. It's so wonderful to be on your show and talk to you live in person. Where are we speaking to you from? I am in Northwest Indiana on the the shores of Lake Michigan. And fortunately, it is a a little cooler spot than some of the other places in the country right now. Right. Speaking from Florida, I can attest to that. You've given us a wonderful book, Julie, Twice a Daughter, published by Books Fluent. And you've got a website, juliemagooauthor.com. So that's spelled M-C-G-U-E. And that yeah, is a true. Yeah, pronounced that, McGew. Yeah, McGew. Julie McGew. Right. Uh, Julie, Ro- right. Julie Ryan McGew. Um, that is, a, it's a Correct. trove of resources, articles, beautifully photographed images, and a guidebook with thoughts for those who contemplate reuniting with biological family. You offer the first chapter of your book and some memorable quotes. It's a wonderful, generous site to roam around in, and you've offered something up to a wider community, not just as an author yourself, but to the whole community of those touched by adoption, which is estimated to be one in six Americans. So congratulations on your work and your outreach to a wider portal. You've dropped anchor into a deep port, I think. <laughs> I, I wondered if... Having had a full life, you've raised now four children and have grandchildren and a lovely family. I wonder if this um, experience has given you even another inner center, another benefit to your life. Well, without a doubt, Diane. I mean, the first part of my life, um, I was so lucky to have been raised with my twin sister and certainly her support throughout my life has really been... It's like growing up with your best friend. Um, certainly we argued it like all siblings do, but to have started this journey of trying to figure out our family history benefited both of us, both of us and our families. And we, we had a little joke um, in our family when our kids were little, when any of them would do something terrific or bad, <laughs> we would say, oh, that's, that's due to the mystery gene. And, and that was referenced to my close adoption history, which meant I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't have any access to my birth parents' names, um, any of their ethnicity, their background, the circumstances of why we were placed for adoption. And so uh, that little mystery gene was uh, a little family joke for a long time. And then uh, we solved that little mystery and are able to attribute so many things to our background um, that was uh, closed off to us for so many years. Uh, there are so many plot twists in your book that I think even someone outside the adoption community would enjoy the read just because it's a wild ride and it's not all <laughs> smooth going. Um, start to finish, how long was the process that you're speaking of solving the mystery gene? Well, I was 48 when I had the breast biopsy, and back in 2008, uh, you weren't able to go on the computer and look at your 
portal with your doctor's office and see what test results were immediately. So I had to wait longer than I would have liked. Um, and that process really got uh, us, my sister and I talking and going. And the first step was to ask our, birth, our adoptive parents for our adoption papers. And as astounding as that is, I never asked for them when I was growing up. I, I really didn't even know that they existed or what would be in there. But that was the place that we started, and uh, it turned out that really there wasn't that much in there that was going to be able to help us, which was a big disappointment. And then I had not known any adoptees growing up uh, and certainly didn't know any adoptees that had tried to connect with their birth relatives. Uh, Mm -hmm. DNA testing was in its infancy. Certainly, um, it would not have benefited me because I did try it. Uh, I didn't have any names to go on. And so when I did uh, access Ancestry DNA in 2010, I matched with uh, people that were third and fourth and fifth cousins, and they would ask for family names, and I I had nothing to link us. Uh, And certainly, I didn't know if the people I was matching with were from my birth mother's side of the family or my birth father. So it really didn't benefit me at all, um, which is in contrast to adoptees now that we read about extensively in the newspaper connecting with a sister that they didn't know they had or a brother or other family members. So that not available to me and not having any anybody's footsteps to follow in I did what a lot of people did back then, and we went to the Internet and uh, found a search agency that we we thought would be able to help us. It had good uh, recommendations. And we quickly learned that the information that we had, while we thought it was enough to get started, um, it was revealed that our birth mother probably used an alias, uh, which was very common back in the 1950s and 60s for women that were uh, facing an unwed pregnancy or uh, circumstances that they wanted to maintain their privacy. So that was the biggest roadblock in the beginning. And it became very clear to us that we had to work with our adoption agency to see what steps they could help us with. And at the same time, we became aware of a change in Illinois law, which... um, allowed us to access a program um, administered by the court system, and it was the Confidential Intermediary Program. And it turned out that if we would have searched through our adoption agency, we're going to have to wait for about six months before they could get to us. There were so many people in front of us. Mm -hmm. And given the health situation uh, for myself, it, it seemed advisable that we work with the Confidential Intermediary Program. So I went through the court system and got assigned an intermediary who was under the auspices of a judge. And I knew that we had only a year's time to um, get cooking on this. And that is really uh, what the book is about, Um, the intermediary and the things that happened, um, her trying to find our birth relatives, and some of the roadblocks that came up along the way, um, having to get the judge back involved and uh, trying to get our, our health history from a very, very reluctant birth mother who really basically didn't want to be found. And, um, and that is the roller coaster, is that, mm-hmm. uh, that story of trying to find her and um, get her to make contact with us. Mm-hmm. Because the emotional dynamics are really the crux of it, right? It's also dealing with your parents who were alive and well. And, um, you know, you felt, you know, justified and also a sense of urgency about this surge. They weren't quite on board. So you had that that (laughs) dynamic to contend with. I mean, there was a lot. This was like fraught with a lot of emotional stuff. And you and your sister, um, you know, it's it's unusual, Julie, in the sense that, you know, many adoptees, when they find a birth parent, um, are, it's the first time they've seen anybody who's genetically related to them. And here you are with your sister, Jenny, kind of mirroring one another all along, but 
really in a kind of microcosm of um, you know, of your family. And I, I wondered about, you know, people outside the adoptive community kind of look at us and say, well, you know, you grew up in affluence, you had a beautiful family growing up. Um, yes, there were the, the, the losses and, and, the, and the occasional um, tragedies that beset all families. You lost a younger sister at one point. And, but, but generally, a beautiful family, a lake house, um, a beautiful suburban existence, wonderful parents, brother. It's all kind of storybook. And people would say, why is this important? You know, and kids growing up are asked constantly, where were you born? What were the family members? What's your parents' story of, you know, where, where, where were they when you were conceived? I mean, all of these answers were not at your fingertips and required hesitancy on your part. I wondered when you were going through life and, and answering questions about the mystery gene, which started out as a joke, doesn't it feel like a lack to have this basic fundamental information? You just don't have it. You don't have it, and, and you know you can't have it. And I think therein lies the issue with a lot of closed adoptees is we suppress our need to know, our desire to know where we came from, uh, the people that would influence how we lift our hands and cross our legs, all of those things. We know that we cannot have access to that, and we suppress that. Um, and I think what happened to me with this breast biopsy and searching for information, I started to get angry uh, and allowed myself for the first time in my life to be angry and resent the fact that all this information was not only closed off to me, but that other people grew up with knowing um, their ancestors, being able to go to the family Bible and, and see those names and be able to trace their lineage. And that, I think, anger fueled my desire to keep going. There were tremendous low spots, as, as we've talked about, um, rejection, uh, missteps, bad information. And persevering through that was this uh, burning desire and burning anger. And certainly, I had my sister's support. And uh, the together, it was almost like, we can do this. Um, there's two of us. We can figure out how to do this. And her disappointment were balanced by my excitement and my energy and vice versa. Uh, there's a scene in the book where the two of us go back to our orphanage. And really another um, aspect that I had suppressed for most of my life, um, I knew that I, my parents picked us up at St. Vincent's um, orphanage, but I didn't know where that was. And as I started um, coming alive with this uh, lifting the veil of secrecy, as, as adoptees often call it, I realized I want to see this place. I, I am owed this. It's where my life began with my sister. Um, the interim step between my birth mother and the family that raised me. And so we did um, make uh, make contact with Catholic Charities, and I got a social worker to give us a tour. And it, it's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book because it is this moving experience of the two of us going back to where we started. Um, there's little secrets that come up. Uh, we had been told that we were baptized at Holy Name, which is literally a block away from St. Vincent's and um, had at one point in my life, that was my home parish. I was married there. And I, I always believed that I'd been baptized there because that's what my parents had been told. But when I started researching um, every little detail, we came to find out we were not baptized at Holy Name. We were baptized in the chapel at the orphanage. And mm -hmm. so this very moving scene in the book is about the two of us uh, going back to the orphanage together and seeing the space 
where um, the baptismal bowl is located and standing over it. Um, and I think I had not anticipated the wealth of emotion that that brought out and the reality of really what adoption is all about. It's this um, transference of family. And while I love my family that I grew up with, this adoption search put a rift between my mother and I. I think it was the the thing that she never expected would happen. She had always ex- uh, expressed that she would support uh, us if we ever needed to do it. And mm-hmm. certainly, as a middle-aged woman, I didn't think that there would be uh, any problem with our relationship. But it did put a wedge um, in our relationship, and it took quite some time for that to resolve itself. Um, as you know, Diane, from the end of the book, there's... Um, some family that we make contact with and the connection with them is uncanny. And that connection is really what healed my relationship with my mother. I think she realized um, this doesn't have to be an either or situation that there is family that we know and love and we can make this work. So uh, a lot of healing moments that come after a lot of pain, um, and one of the things that also came out of my connection with Catholic Charities and, and visiting St. Vincent's was the knowledge that I could join a post-adoption support group. And right. while my sister never joined me um, at any of these meetings, my brother that is two years younger and also adopted through Catholic Charities joined me many times. And that mm-hmm. community, I believe, um, enlightened me about the perspective of a birth mother all the things that they um, have to navigate, the trauma, uh, the mm-hmm. triggering of certain events like Mother's Day, of course, and birthdays. Mm-hmm. And that knowledge uh, and experience of being in the room with a birth mother and adoptive parents that were supporting their adult ad- adopted children through the process really helped me write the book in a different way. It started out being my story. And right. in the end, one of my goals was to enlighten the greater community about what this is all about, how complicated this adoption experience is for everybody involved. Yeah. And um, I, I hope that came across, but that certainly was one of my goals. It did, and I thought the arc of the story is very much one of coming from a subjective place that we all live in, our subjective reality of our stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and how we're wounded in this way or that, up to a much larger view of seeing around the perspective of others so that you're going from a kind of subjective to an objective if there is such a thing, you walked all the way around, you saw your birth mother's perspective, you felt some of her pain, you felt actually the pain of your adoptive mother as well. And for readers, honestly, there are six degrees of separation in this book, almost a synchronicity that you won't believe um, that occurs in Julie's families. Um, and really, you know, formed bridges that honestly, we couldn't have even you know, contrived. We need to stop for a, for a commercial break here, but I love this idea, Julie, that you explore of binary, that everything's either or, that your parents are your parents um, and, and not another set of parents. And all of those lines that get blurred in an adoption search, I think lead you to a much more peaceful place. Um, and we'll delve into this with you when we come back from uh, from our commercial break, back to Twice a Daughter, a search for identity, family, and belonging with Julie Ryan McGew. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. 
The aim is to serve riders who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Julie Ryan McHugh, the author of Twice a Daughter, an app title, and also uh, with a wonderful photograph of you and your twin, Jenny, on the cover. Um, it's just, we've, we left before the commercial break at you staring into the baptismal font with your sister. And did you have goosebumps? Did you have sensations going back to the orphanage and the little chapel there? Uh, that was a, at a very low point in our search. We were waiting for um, our birth mother to change her mind and we're not sure if she ever would. Um, so being in the space, felt very connected to her, to her, but also bittersweet. Um, certainly, I had emotions that came to me that I hadn't even realized that I felt uh, about what had happened while we were living there. Um, there's no record of that, of course. So there was a lot of imagining um, based on, there was a little book written by some of the nurses about St. Vincent, and I had read the book back to cover um, many, many times. And so those stories about uh, the nurses and the nurses' aides as being the stand-in godparents and these very speedy little baptisms that uh, the Catholic Church believes, certainly, that your original sin needs to be washed away right away um, Mm -hmm. so that you have a pure soul to go forward in life. And so knowing all of, you know, that Catholic background that I had and also having read this little book, all of that came together as I was standing over this baptismal bowl, and I realized, you know, what might have happened um, that day that we were baptized, the two of us, and the imagining, I think, is what um, what made that scene come, come, come to life for me, and I still go back to that space whenever we have meetings in the building, and I still have this source of wonderment about uh, what had happened that day that we visited um, together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as a metaphor too. the source, a baptismal font as a kind of a source point. I mean, you, you, you really um, have undergone something that is a fundamental search for roots and identity. Even, you know, when I think about, um, you know, the African-American community, which was disenfranchised, brought here from another country, had very little hope of ever figuring out their histories. And then Henry Louis Gates started the Roots Project. I mean, you can't um, separate any one people or person from the drive to understand where we come from, where we came from. And surprise, Julie, you and your sister were, sorry, the the rah-rah Irish Catholic family. And then... (laughs) Then you learned. Then you learned your your actual ethnicity, and that yes. was something quite different, was it not? Yeah. Yes, and the, and that's very fundamental to the identity issue that we're speaking about today. Um, having grown up in this big Irish Catholic family, my we spent a lot of time at the St. Patrick's Day festivals in downtown Chicago, which is a big thing. They die the River Green, and it's. Um, certainly become more of a raucous brawl um, of late. But for me, in the, in my younger years, it was a family event, and I embraced all of the Catholic, uh, Irish Catholic things that we did as a family. And when I started down this path of researching um, our history, I, there was a little fear in me that was like, uh-oh, what if I really am not 
Irish and how am I going to deal with that? And a bit of imposter syndrome, certainly thinking, have I just, you know, uh, been walking down this path and pretending to be something that I'm really not. Um, so the, the hard part was when we, when we did make contact with our birth mother and learned her uh, background, she's French and German, and I thought, uh-oh, it's going to happen. My fear is going to be realized. I mean, I'm going to have to figure out um, what I uh, identify with as a result of this, and I kept a little hope in the back of my mind that maybe my birth father's side uh, would certainly um, make me feel at peace with what I had grown up believing about myself. And if you look at the cover of the book, um, the two of us couldn't look more Irish with our freckle faces and uh, big smiles. And so I secretly kept that little wish and did find out that we are um, Scotch-Irish which made me very happy. But another thing came out of the search that I'm still grappling with, to be honest with you. On uh, both sides of my my history is Native American heritage, something uh-huh. that I never would have expected, um, uh-huh. and a good chunk of it. So, um, how does that I'm, impact I'm still you? Trying to, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to work with them. Of course, my kids were like, wow, this is great. Um, there's enough percentage of American Indian that we can, you know, use that if we needed to get into college, but they were already in college or grad school. And I, I think that they're more excited about it um, because it's a discovery. And I'm grappling with the pictures that I'm now seeing of my heritage and thinking, I, I really think I need to, to work on researching this more and go back to some of these birthplaces and cemeteries and really understand who these people were because um, it caught me by surprise. And I think that happens to a lot of adoptees. They grow up thinking they're Italian or they're Irish, and then all of a sudden they find out they're Hawaiian. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just another piece of identity uh, in which to, to work on taking in our, our, our soul and, and figuring out how we feel about it. Certainly, I'm not yes. embarrassed about it. It's just, um, just another something, piece to try and figure out. Mm-hmm. Something to integrate, something to process. But I think we can all see that, Julie, is you are you are careful, you are methodical, and you are taking things step by step so that you can process them. And that's why I think your guidebook is probably very helpful for people who might be wanting to take a tentative step in this direction. I, I think the other thing that you allude to, yes, it's great knowing, you know, Native American heritage. It's another piece of the puzzle. Um, however, it's it's basically, you know, a kind of seismic shift that you have to endure that the powers that be told you who you were. And then mm-hmm. it turns out that the truth, you know, belongs to not the powers that be. And the powers that be lose their credibility, right? Their, you know, their hold on you. And that's very different, a kind of different thing to grapple with because it's not just information. <clears throat> it's much more fundamental. <clears throat> There's my cold coming back. Um, it's much more fundamental. It goes much deeper when you have to realize that the people that, you know, you, you looked up to, your parents and, you know, <clears throat> that you thought this is my truth, that your truth completely radically shifts. And I wondered, what are some of the ramifications of that for you? You studied psychology, you're a careful observer. What are some of the ramifications of of having your truth really change so radically, so suddenly? Well, that is is the advice that I would give um, to other people that are contemplating an adoption search is, uh, to be methodical about it. Um, certainly before I, I really started down the path, I did a lot of reading. And there are some wonderful resources uh, that I post on my website but that you're probably aware of too, Diane. Ann Fessler's book, The Girls That Went Away, um, was the, my very first read. Certainly it's, it's not light reading, but it is a collection of true stories of women um, and and birth parents um, 
their stories from the 1950s and, and before and after and what happened to them um, when they discovered that they were pregnant and their family sent them away. So those kinds of books are great preparation for somebody contemplating a search such as this. Um, I tried to find as many people as I knew that were in the, in the middle of the process, and that helped me to understand some of the pitfalls that I might um, walk into. And I think that those, that support system that I found through Catholic Charities, the post-adoption services, uh, the social worker that I met through the confidential intermediary program, all those people were necessary to guide me through this. I was not, even with the help of my sister, going to make this uh, through on the other side in, in a um, careful, forgiving, accepting manner if I didn't have those, those guides. And so I encourage people to make sure you are in a good space in your life. Um, I was. I, had a, a, I have a very strong marriage and a, a loving family. And so I was in a good place in that respect. Um, certainly very stable where we were living. There was no threat of moving. And those are important things to consider to be very stable and have the support system to help you through it. And mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to do it, and I knew that I wanted to do it. Um, the brother that I mentioned earlier that went with me to some of the support meetings, he, um, he came with me to some of those meetings for two years before he decided to walk down that path. And I think he needed to assimilate, you know, what, what is going to happen, what might happen, what might not happen, and do I want to dip my toe in those waters? Um, ultimately, he did, and he did find some beautiful sisters um, and the answers to his questions, too. But I think it needs to be a methodical process um, and evaluate whether it is the right path for you to do. Are are you at a good place in your life? Can you navigate some tricky situations? Um, Are you ready for disappointment? How well do you deal with disappointment and loss? And can you get yourself to the other side? So waiting until we're middle-aged people to um, work through this process is probably a good thing. Uh, Our well Mm -hmm. of resiliency and and resolve is, is pretty full. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, and I think that was very advantageous for me to have waited till the right time uh, to, to work on this project. And well, I, I yeah. will also add that um, I, I didn't write this memoir right away. So the search ended in 2014, and I truly needed that emotional distance um, for about three years to really evaluate what I thought about everything and what had happened and the right way to tell the story. Um, where did it need to begin? Where did it need to end? And what was I really trying to tell the reader? Um, that took a while to figure out. I didn't want it to be an angry adoptee story. Um, for the most part, it, it's not. But um, there, there's still disappointments and hurts there that um, come across in the book. And not, not everything has a completely happy ending, as we say. Mm-hmm. Well, your reflections are very important, and the way you your take on things is very important, and it is measured, and it does give people a sense that you know, of your backbone. I think also when you talk about things like your religion, you know, sometimes I, I think you know there's there's something that you um, integrate and foster in yourself too. It doesn't belong necessarily to your adoptive family or to your biological family. It's a construct that you've grown in yourself that can be your faith, your belief system, you know, a sense of, yeah, your strength as a person. Those, you know, accumulate over, you know, becoming a mother, um, you know, fostering, having a home, fostering the lives of others. And, you know, I'm sitting here, I've got the book in my hand, um, and Fessler's. I, I wish we were on Facebook Live, and I will do one day, but the Twice a Daughter cover, I'd love to be holding it up right now. It's just it's just the most darling photograph of you and Jenny. Um, and Fessler's book, The Girls Who Went Away, The Hidden History of Women Who Surrendered Children for Adoption in the Decades Before Roe v. Wade. 
it's an important book as well, and it's in your list of resources. But I guess what I'm asking you now, Julie, is, you know, there are attributions to be made for, you know, certain traits, certain, the way of being, the way you carry yourself. But is there not also a part of you that you've constructed in conversation with information, in conversation with the world, in conversation with your biological and adoptive families, in in conversation with being a wife, a mother, a grandmother, um, isn't there a part of an identity that that comes from integrating all of these experiences? Oh, without a doubt. I think one of the the deepest things that I realized about myself as I was writing this book and I got to the end of it um, and looking back at all the uh, the crazy things, good things, and rough spots uh, was where I ended up, and that was um, a level of acceptance for the things that happened and understanding why they happened and uh, forgiveness. I did not realize that I had the capacity to accept and forgive at the level that was required of me uh, to continue to have relationships with uh, the people that hurt me along the way. My adoptive mom, certainly, um, I see her once a week. We have uh, fixed whatever issue there was there. Uh, I think both of us realized that our, our bond that we had um, for most of our life was more important than this little blip that we went through, this disagreement about... Um, the priority of me finding my identity and and background. So I think the things that we pick up, to your point, Diane, along the way um, make a big difference in how we react to things. And um, certainly raising four children that give you every single left curve all of the time uh, and the level of patience <laughs> that you need to have with, all, with running a household with that many people, uh, I think all of those things contributed to the way I was able to deal with the disappointments in the book. Um, It's funny, I was on on an airplane with my son. He's 31 years old, and he was in the book, but not really a a major character because he was a student athlete, and then he went off to college. So he, while he was aware, certainly, of what was, was happening with my adoption search, it went on for so long, and as children do, they look at their parents like, they're just my parents. Um, they can't yeah. really be that interesting of a person, right? <laughs> right. But he was reading the book. I had given him an early copy, and I, I, he was across the aisle, and I, I was studying him, and I, he kept wiping his face, and I, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, are you okay? He goes, I'm so sorry, Mom. I am so um, emotional about reading this book. I had no idea that you were going through all of this. I knew what was happening, but I certainly didn't understand the magnitude of it. And so I think that is part of the gift of writing a memoir is the gift um, of revealing yourself to your family and having them look at you in another way. Um, All of my children have had an interesting reaction to the story. Um, Certainly when there was some big disappointments with my birth mom, they grew to not even want to talk about her. They they would shake their head and say, you know, she's a bad person, um, and she's not a bad person. And I think the book helped them understand the difficulties that she faced in welcoming my sister and I into her life. She had kept such a deep secret for so long. Um, right. And letting that secret out to the people she had protected herself from knowing was a long process for her. I was sure. patient enough with her, um, but I think those around me were, you know, they, they wanted to take sides. And, sure. um, and I they wanted the book, to, yeah, to heal the, that, um, that little rift with them. Yes. Well, your family wanted to protect you. And you, mm-hmm. you, wrote, you wrote the memoir, and it's, very, it's a lovingly written book. Uh, published by She Writes Press. The audiobook is uh, Books Fluent. And it's called Twice a Daughter. We've got a pause for a commercial break now. But it's just amazing. You know, it, the, you start out thinking, why didn't they give me all this information when I was 21 or when I got married, your, your adoptive family? And now I really hear you saying, I'm glad I took the journey. 
So we'll come back in a few minutes and we'll continue talking with Julie Ryan McGue about her journey. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Julie Ryan McHugh, and who is the author of A Memoir, Twice a Daughter. There is a collection of personal essays that you're working on, Julie, that is to come. Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the cover of your book, uh, A Search for Identity, yep. fam- Family, and Belonging. What did you want to say about about the cover? Well, when I had written the book and picked the title, um, I was working with the publisher on uh, possible cover layouts, and she came up with a few things, and she said, you know, I don't like any of these. Do you have any pictures of your sister and yourself together and came up with this picture. It's one of my, my favorites from us growing up. And once I gave it to her and she said, we really like this. And of course I had to ask my sister if she was fine with it. And I looked at the, the mock-up of the cover and I realized, oh my gosh, this picture is taken from uh, the family lake house. And the book ends with a very important scene and connection with family at the same place. So it was almost a natural that this was the right cover for the book. But how we got there was not not a direct path. Um, and and now that when I look at the cover, I'm I'm so pleased that the 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 picture was the right picture, and it is very integral to to the um, how the book culminates. It is full circle for you. And I think it's interesting, you know, you discover the meaning of family in a different way. You you thought you had your family. We all think we have our family. And, um, you know, then it turns out it's there's a broader definition. There's a there's an inclusiveness of biological family um, that you did meet um, and curiously and with a great deal of synchronicity. Uh, we're not going <laughs> to give any spoilers, but you know, it's really worth reading this book because you just continually turn the page and say, wow, wow, wow. Um, and it's almost kind of like a message from the universe, the way you are, the, 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 the actual circle was closed um, coming from the lake um, place, which is a kind of, you know, also significant, um, you know, that was always, the lake is always like the collective unconsciousness in, in Jung, you know, you know that from, from studying psychology. Not a coincidence either that I think many um, adoptees do delve into psychology because we've had to observe a lot of things that were not in our control, um, you know, being separated from biological family, you know, joining another family, all of these things cause us to be somewhat observational, right? Standing by and seeing, you know, what will happen next. And I think that writing this book, did it feel like, you know, you talked about it making you feel like coming alive, the search made you come alive. And did the writing of the book and kind of having agency over your story continue that sense of coming alive? Um, well, absolutely. 
I had no idea that a breast biopsy was going to lead to a later in life career. And essentially, if you connect the dots, that's exactly what happened. Um, the breast biopsy led to the search. The search led to writing the book. And now the book has led to uh, writing a weekly blog. I have a monthly column I write for my little local paper. Um, I have a collection of essays that I'm working on. And I, I guess in no small way, I have found my voice. And I think that a lot of adoptees are uh, trying to find their voice and by writing a book like this and talking about other adoptees that have written memoirs, we are allowing a greater community to find their voice and find the courage uh, to figure out their story, whatever it is, uh, even if it's only half of their story. Just finding that courage and finding their voice is something that I encourage adoptees that I'm in contact with all the time. Um, just take the next step. It may not be what you want to hear, but at least you'll know and you won't um, walk the rest of your path without knowing. So um, I'm very grateful for the way my journey has ended up. And uh, I look forward to continuing to write, you know, meaningful pieces that hit people the right way. You know, that's, I think, the connectivity that you're talking about and that sort of generative feeling of making a contribution beyond yourself. Um, it's something, it's really important in this stage of life and it's really important, I think, for our times. You know, you, you are talking about encouraging people to take the next step and that can be very daunting. You can be filled with fear. I know people, I know a sorted number of people who you know, are are afraid to take the next step. And there is a sense that, you know, the trauma, trying to process a traumatic past like adoption is, it causes the fight, flight, or freeze response, right? That's how we deal with it. But there is that fourth response, which is to connect, to connect, to share the experience, to lighten the burden of it, to help process through conversation like this and like one that we're going to have in two weeks from now on Dropping In, a forum that, Julie, you have created. I honestly commend you for this broad circle that you've created in, in the world of adoptees. I think that in itself is just a huge um, contribution. Couldn't be more grateful that you have um, embraced others who are coming along uh, on this journey and um, that you kind of got beyond your your own story into a, even to a, a bigger, a broader story of truth coming out. I loved the quote that you had. There's two that resonate right now. One is, it, talking about the times and the generation that we are, that you were dealing with, if we don't talk about it, it isn't happening. Like that was the generation <laughs> that you were dealing with, right? A sense that the truth could remain hidden if we didn't talk about it. And yet you talk about a wholeness that you feel now that you do have a truth, your truth, that you didn't even know you lacked. What do you think are the powers of, of the truth coming out? Do you think there's, I mean, is it, you know, is there a force of truth? Does it have a way of coming to the surface, even for people who are trying to deny it? Um, I, th I think everybody's truth is a little bit different. Certainly, it was very painful for my birth mom to admit to her family what had happened. Um, but it's gone full circle for her, too. Um, she had to make a choice of welcoming my sister and I into her life. But by doing so, she needed to reveal something that um, had happened a long time ago and um, basically admit to a lie. And the her experience with telling her family so heartened her, um, and I think it healed something within herself. So the, the truth has the ability um, to hurt, uh, certainly, but it also has the ability to heal. And I, I think just taking the first step, like for my birth mother telling a sister and having her response um, for anybody who's uh, experienced any kind of abuse, or trauma in their life, the, the first step of revealing what that is um, to a treasured person and having their response 
help. I think that is what we are called to do is to listen to other people's stories and if it affects us in some way to be able to use something with that and to help help others heal uh, whatever it is that they've had to navigate and um, surmount. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's part of why we're here and um, that shame is something, it only can exist in darkness. And once you expose it, it starts to disintegrate. It doesn't have the power to, you know, command us. And, and surely your, your birth mom, I think, probably felt a thawing of her heart um, for having met you girls and for having enjoined your families. It's just an incredible story, Julie Ryan McGew, and I urge everyone to take a look at Twice a Daughter and read it. It's a fascinating story. It's a book that's available wherever books are sold. We've come to the end of our time, sadly. Um, But Julie, we are going to have a forum on adoption in these identity issues. In a couple of weeks, we're going to open it up to even more authors. And um, it's going to be really exciting and have a lot of input um, and ideas that maybe we haven't even thought of. But thank you very much for being with us and initiating the conversation. Thank you, Diane, for having me and for um, allowing me to help set up this panel. I look forward to speaking with you and Jacob about our experiences and our books, our collective books. And I'm sure it'll be a rivet- another riveting conversation. We'll open ourselves up and um, show, show the contents of our heart, which is really all, all that we can do. Here on Dropping In, I want everyone to know that Julie McGew Writes is Julie's Facebook page, Instagram, Julie, uh, Julie Ryan McGew, Twitter, Julie McGew, and of course, this website that is um, so rich in resources. Thanks very much also to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe, and if you've got some gaps to fill, fill them. Make yourself whole. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 